1: From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry, Savannah, Georgia, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, and Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black, Southern Gentleman Esquire, coming at ya with another tale of intrigue and woe. We're—I mean—we're right in the thick of it. We're right in the woods, the deep dark woods of Wuthering Heights. I'm just returned from San Diego, California, where I did a weekend of shows, and uh, lovely, lovely area there, uh, La Jolla, California is where I was proper. And, uh, if you ever go to La Jolla, the thing to do is, and I didn't do it this time, but I've been to La Jolla before you go over to the the little beach there. It's called the children's beach. And when you, when you go to the children's beach, you will not see children. What you will see instead are seals, hundreds of seals, sea lions. Uh, sunning themselves, basking, rolling around, enjoying themselves, flopping all over the sand, slipping in and out of the water, occasionally making a little sound, you know, and the tourists all gather and look at the seals, and the seals ignore the tourists. And, you know, it's quite a sight. Quite a sight indeed, if you enjoy the life aquatic. And it's hard to resist seals. I mean, they're just friggin' adorable. I didn't happen to see any seals this time, you know. I wasn't, I wasn't in the mood. Instead, I ate a bag of uh, taco-flavored Doritos. Every once in a while, you see the taco-flavored Dorito, and every time I see it, I think to myself, "Oh, I love that! I love that!" And then I get it, and then I eat it, and they're not—they're never as good as I remember. I'm never gonna—I'm—I'm I'm never gonna get the taco-flavored Doritos anymore. They're just not good. They're fine. But, you know, I want them to be more, be more piquant than they are. I'm looking for something else. I'm looking for some zest. You understand? I'm looking for some spice. And that is the whole nut of the problem here with Catherine in Wuthering Heights. That's what we talked about last time. And, uh, you know, we'll just pick right back up where we were because this is the whole nub of the issue here with this one character, this one star-crossed character, Catherine Linton. She has been somnambulizing her way through her marriage with Edgar Linton. Heathcliff has been gone. She's become the lady of Thrushcross Grange. She has been, you know, in her in her finery and wearing her gloves and serving the cookies and, you know, probably having a fine time and doing that without complaint you know she's part of a she's part of a happy little household and then who should show up at dark brooding heathcliff reawakening in her the wild child that she was when she was 12 years old and she feels alive once again she has been like frankenstein's monster reanimated shot through with lightning she feels it coursing through her veins in his presence and with that comes all the aggravation and tumult that that intensity of life provides. And uh, Heathcliff's reemergence has, of course, shaken up the household, it's ruined everything. Edgar has basically said, Catherine, it's either him or me. She's in a state of despair. She can't, you know, she can't eat. She can't sleep. She's gnashing her teeth. She's hallucinating. You know, it's a a disaster over there at the Grange. And so she has just poured out her heart to our uh, narrator, Nellie. She's burning with fever. Open the window again wide. Fasten it open. Quick. Why don't you move, Nellie? And that's where we left it last time. Uh, So let's just, you know, not waste any more time. Let's just pick it up again, why don't we, with chapter 12 here in Wuthering Heights. Why don't you move? Because I won't give you your death of cold, I answered. You won't give me a chance of life, you mean, she said sullenly. However, I'm not helpless yet. I'll open it myself. So, she is shut off from the world. I mean, the window here, the argument over the window. Yeah, it's a metaphor, is it not? Nellie wants to keep it closed. She wants to keep her locked in to thrush cross. Catherine's saying, open it. God damn you, open it. I'll have that fresh air. I'll escape my prison. You know, but she's, she's, she's you know, she feels like she's on the, on the precipice of death here because she's in an impossible position. So she says, I'll open it myself. And sliding from the bed, before I could hinder her, she crossed the room, walking very uncertainly, threw it back, and bent out, careless of the frosty air that cut about her shoulders as keen as a knife. I entreated, and finally attempted to force her to retire. But I soon found her delirious strength much surpassed mine. She was delirious, I became convinced, by her subsequent actions and ravings. There was no moon, and everything beneath lay in misty darkness. Not a light gleamed from any house, far or near. All had been extinguished long ago, and those at Wuthering Heights were never visible. Still, she asserted, she caught their shining. "'Look!' she cried eagerly. That's my room with the candle in it and the trees swaying before it. And the other candle is in Joseph's garret. Joseph sits up late, doesn't he? He's waiting till I come home that he may lock the gate. Well, he'll wait a while yet. It's a rough journey and a sad heart to travel it. And we must pass by Gimmerton Kirk to go that journey. And we have a little footnote, a joyful little footnote at Gimmerton Kirk. All these funny American names. Gimmerton Kirk. I don't know what a Kirk is. What number is that? Oh, 30. All right. Well, I'm just turning to the back here to find number. Oh, it's a church. Thank you. We must pass by the church to go that journey. We've braved its ghosts often together and dared each other to stand among the graves and ask them to come. But Heathcliff, if I dare you now, will you venture? If you do, I'll keep you. I'll not lie there by myself. They may bury me 12 feet deep and throw the church down over me, but I won't rest till you are with me. I never will. Okay, so, I mean, we're just, we're living in the land of foreshadowing and symbolism and all the rest of it. Now we're just swimming in the literature of the thing. And, you know, that's the thing about, about, you know, reading these books. And the reason it's been so frustrating for me with weathering Eyes is because I just didn't really have a sense of what it was about now that I do. And so when, when, when that happens, you sort of, you know, things become more into focus a little bit. And you understand that the outside, the sharp air that, that cuts her keen across the shoulders or whatever, whatever it was, like, yes, it's, 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 it's the frosty air. It's the night air. It's, it's, it is death beckoning her. But it is also, in that death, it is also life. It is also the life she wants to live. It is her fate. She is fated to go out into that air, whether real or imaginary, and to cross that kirk. Because we know she's going to die. She's going to die. And we know that, and we're okay with it. We like it. I like it. I, who am I to speak for you, but you like it too. And she has said, I'll not lie there by myself. And we know that. She haunts Wuthering Heights. Lockwood sees her there, you know. She is waiting for Heathcliff to come and join her in the sweet hereafter so that they may be together. We've braved in ghosts often together and dared each other to stand among the graves and ask them to come. Well, she herself is about to become one of those ghosts. I won't rest till you are with me. I never will. She paused and resumed with a strange smile. He's considering. He'd rather I come to him. Find a way, then, not through that kirkyard. You are slow. Be content. You always followed me. Perceiving it vain to argue against her insanity, I was planning how I could reach something to wrap about her, with quitting my hold of herself, for I could not trust her alone by the gaping lattice, when to my consternation I heard the rattle of the door-handle, and Mr. Linton entered. He had only then come from the library, and in passing through the lobby had noticed our talking and been attracted by curiosity or fear to examine what it signified at that late hour." Oh, sir, I cried, checking the exclamation risen to his lips at the sight which met him, and the bleak atmosphere of the chamber. My poor mistress is ill, and she quite masters me. I cannot manage her at all. Pray, come and persuade her to go to bed. Forget your anger, for she's hard to guide any way but her own. Catherine, ill? he said, hastening to us. Shut the window, Ellen. Catherine, why... "'He was silent. "'The haggardness of Mrs. Linton's appearance smote him speechless, "'and he could only glance from her to me in horrified astonishment. "'She's been fretting here,' I continued, "'and eating scarcely anything, and never complaining. "'She would admit none of us till this evening, "'and so we couldn't inform you of her state, "'as we were not aware of it ourselves. "'But it is nothing.' Well, she's lying because she knew that Catherine was having a big old freakout. She knew she wasn't taking food, but she kept it from Edgar because she didn't want to, you know, give in to Catherine. She was basically trying to say, you know, fine. You know, if you don't want to eat, don't eat, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're just being a big old baby. And she was, let's be honest. Catherine is being a big old baby. But uh, Catherine has deteriorated so rapidly that Ellen, now Nellie, feels the need to uh, cover her own tracks so to speak, so that Edgar uh, doesn't blame her for this condition. And the fact of the matter is, where is the blame to lie, really? You know, but with society, it is society's fault. It's always yeah. Look, if you're going to blame somebody, it's always best to blame society. That's what I have found. The devil made me do it. Well, who is the devil? It's society. Well, in this case, though, there is some truth to it. I mean, the fact of the matter is, Heathcliff, by virtue of his maleness, was able to escape Wuthering Heights, go out into the world, have whatever adventures he has had over these last few years, and return to it. And he still has, you know, he is still himself. Whereas Catherine, being a female, did not have that option. She was not able to go out into the world and experience it in the same way. And so she bound herself to Edgar Linton and has been changed for the worse by the experience. Although, to be honest, I preferred the docile Catherine. I don't need the wild child, you know. We may like her from a literary point of view, but I wouldn't want to live with her. My God, I don't need that kind of drama in my life. Just give, just give me a quiet little house, you know, with a little fire going in the hearth and a couple of cups of tea, some cucumber sandwiches, and, you know, some unchallenging fare on the television. That's all, that's all I want. I don't need high dudgeon all the time. I felt I uttered my explanations awkwardly. Well, yeah, because you were lying. The master frowned. It is nothing, is it, Ellen Dean? he said sternly. You shall account more clearly for keeping me ignorant of this. And he took his wife in his arms and looked at her with anguish. At first she gave him no glance of recognition. He was invisible to her abstracted gaze. The delirium was not fixed, however, having weaned her eyes from contemplating the outer darkness by degrees she centered her attention on him and discovered who it was that held her. Ah, you are come, are you, Edgar Linton, she said with angry animation. Oh, I didn't say that with angry animation. Ah, you are come, are you, Edgar Linton, she said with angry animation. You are one of those things that are ever found when least wanted, and when you are wanted, never. I suppose we shall have plenty of lamentations now. I see we shall but they can't keep me from my narrow home out yonder. My resting-place, where I'm bound before spring is over. There it is, not among the Linton's mind, under the chapel roof, but in the open air, with a headstone, and you may please yourself whether you go to them or come to me. Catherine, what have you done? commenced the master. Am I nothing to you any more? Do you love that wretch? Heath, hush! cried Mrs. Linton. Hush this moment! You mention that name and I end the matter instantly by a spring from the window. What you touch at present you may have, but my soul will be on that hilltop before you lay hands on me again. I don't want you, Edgar. I'm past wanting you. Return to your books. I'm glad you possess a consolation for all you had in me is gone. Well, I mean, that's mean, It's a mean thing to say. I suppose it's true. Sometimes the truth is cruel. But she's saying, look, I'm going to be out in the open air before spring. I'm going to be dead under a headstone at Gimmerton Kirk. There's nothing you can do about it. I'm dead to it. Hear me? I'm dead to this world. I'm dead to this life. And you're a lousy lay on top of it. Seems like we're leading up to her death and blah-de-blah and it's terrific and fine. But I'm ready to get there. Anyway, let's take a little break. Back in a moment, here on Obscure.
0: Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all wheel drive and three row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Back on Obscure, Catherine is all strumming and and Linton's trying his best to deal with her, and here we go she's just she's just read him the riot act you know i'm done with you she says her mind wanders sir i interposed she's been talking nonsense the whole evening but let her have quiet and proper attendance and she'll rally hereafter we must be cautious how we vex her i desire no further advice from you answered mr linton you knew your mistress's nature and you encouraged me to harass her And not to give me one hint of how she had been these three days, it was heartless. Months of sickness could not cause such a change. I began to defend myself, thinking it too bad to be blamed for another's wicked waywardness. Well, he's absolutely right. She's been lying this whole time. And, uh, you know, good of her to admit it in her recounting of the tale. But the fact of the matter is she has been wayward in her duties. And, uh, but, you know, it's also... He shouldn't necessarily be blaming her, and he's correct. Months of sickness could not cause such a change, right? This has been overnight, essentially. Three days ago, she was fine. Now she's delirious, raving, about to throw herself in the window, portending her own death. She has cut herself off from her husband. She says, you mean nothing to me. And uh, all of this, you know, from one visit, one visit from Heathcliff. I mean, Heathcliff's been in and out, but, you know, they had this little fight, they had this little to-do, this dust-up, and now, you know, it's all gone to hell. I knew Mrs. Linton's nature to be headstrong and domineering, cried I, but I didn't know that you wished to foster her fierce temper. I didn't know that. To humor her, I should wink at Mr. Heathcliff. I perform the duty of a faithful servant in telling you, and I have got a faithful servant's wages. "'Well, it will teach me to be careful next time. "'Next time you may gather intelligence for yourself. "'The next time you bring a tale to me, "'you shall quit my service, Ellen Dean,' he replied. "'You'd rather hear nothing about it, I suppose, "'than Mr. Linton,' said I. "'Heathcliff has your permission to come according to Miss "'and to drop in at every opportunity your absence offers "'on purpose to poison the Mistress against you?' "'Confused as Catherine was.' Her wits were alert at applying our conversation. Ah, Nelly has played traitor! She exclaimed passionately. Nelly is my hidden enemy, you witch! So you do seek elf bolts to hurt us? Let me go, and I'll make her rue. I'll make her howl a recantation. A maniac's fury kindled under her brows. She struggled desperately to disengage herself from Linton's arms. I felt no inclination to tarry the event and resolving to seek medical aid on my own responsibility, I quitted the chamber. (sighs) So Linton's just, you know, holding her, you know, holding her back. And she's going to rip Nellie limb from limb for reporting to Linton Heathcliff's comings and goings and all the rest of it. Well, what's she supposed to do? She's a faithful servant, like she said, receiving a faithful servant's wages. Is she supposed to say, is she supposed to not say, Like she's caught in the middle here, and yeah, you can understand why she's feeling a little defensive, she's in a no-win situation. So she says, In passing the garden to reach the road, at a place where a bridle hook is driven, into the wall, I saw something white moved irregularly, evidently by another agent than the wind. Notwithstanding my hurry, I stayed to examine it, lest ever after... I should have the conviction impressed on my imagination that it was a creature of the other world. So here are the ghosts again, you know? There are spirits in this book, spirits everywhere, haunting these two houses. My surprise and perplexity were great to discover, by touch more than vision, Miss Isabella Springer Fanny suspended to a handkerchief and nearly at its last gasp. Wait, what? <laughs> so it's, uh, the dog is there and it's almost dead. Everybody's almost dead in this book. You know? Somebody at the book club said, well, you know, they're, everybody's always almost dead back then. They barely had enough to eat. and the, You know, the terrible medical conditions and just horrible. I don't think that's true. You know, people lived regular lives. I quickly released the animal and lifted it into the garden. I had seen it follow its mistress upstairs when she went to bed, and wondered much how it could have got out there, and what mischievous person had treated it so. Well, maybe Heathcliff's up there with Isabella, you know? Loving on her or something, you know? Betraying everybody and everything. While untying the knot round the hook, It seemed to me that I repeatedly caught the beat of horses' feet galloping at some distance, but there were such a number of things to occupy my reflections that I hardly gave the circumstance a thought, though it was a strange sound in that place at two o'clock in the morning. Mr. Kenneth was fortunately just issuing from his house to see a patient in the village as I came up the street and my account of Catherine Linton's malady induced him to accompany me back immediately. He was a plain, rough man, and he made no scruple to speak his doubts of her surviving this second attack, unless she were more submissive to his directions than she had shown herself before. Nelly Dean,' said he, "'I can't help fancying there's an extra cause for this. What has there been to do at the Grange? What odd reports up here?' "'A stout, hardy lass like Catherine does not fall ill for a trifle. and "'That sort of people should not either. "'It's hard work bringing them through fevers and such things. "'How did it begin?' "'The master will inform you,' I answered. "'But you are acquainted with the Earnshaw's violent dispositions, "'and Mrs. Linton caps them all. "'I may say this. "'It commenced in a quarrel. "'She was struck during a tempest of passion with a kind of fit.' That's her account, at least, for she flew off in the height of it and locked herself up. Afterwards, she refused to eat, and now she alternately raves and remains in a half-dream, knowing those about her, but having her mind filled with all sorts of strange ideas and illusions. "'Mr. Linton will be sorry,' observed Kenneth interrogatively. "'Sorry? He'll break his heart should anything happen,' I replied. "'Don't alarm him more than necessary.' "'Well, I told him to beware,' said my companion, "'and he must bide the consequences of neglecting my warning. "'Hasn't he been thick with Mr. Heathcliff lately?' "'Heathcliff frequently visits at the Grange,' answered I, "'though more on the strength of the mistress, "'having known him when a boy "'than because the master likes his company. "'At present he's discharged from the trouble of calling, owing to some presumptuous aspirations "'after Miss Linton, which he manifested.' I hardly think he'll be taken in again. And does Miss Linton turn a cold shoulder on him? Was the next doctor's next question. I'm not in her confidence, returned I, reluctant to continue the subject. Well, of course, uh, she is in her confidence, and she does know that, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, this is all. this is all just complicated love stuff. Just terrible, terrible, complicated, horrible, you know, insurmountable love stuff. Ah, I'm just doing a little stretching, you know just a little just a little pause in the reading to stretch it all out. think about the seals a little bit more. Oh those cute seals that I didn't even see. Oh adorable, you know man, yeah, they get up on the rocks, you know, sun themselves, roll over a little bit, go slipping off into the water you see their dark shape under the surface, you know, just kind of swimming around and you think, oh, that's the life for me. That would be the life. Just basking on the children's beach. None of this drama. You know, none of this turmoil. If you're going to come back as anything. You know, you could do a lot worse than a seal. God, they just seem happy. They're content, maybe, you know. They're kind of like, I don't know. They're kind of like the cats of the sea. I mean, they just spend most of their time just hanging out, getting sun. And I, in that part of the world, I don't think they have much to worry about in terms of Sharks eaten them or anything? Maybe they do, I don't know. No, she's a sly one," he remarked, shaking his head. She keeps her own counsel, but she's a real little fool. I have it from good authority that last night, and a pretty night it was, she and Heathcliff were walking in the plantation at the back of your house, above two hours, and he pressed her not to go in again, but just mount his horse and away with him. My informant said she could only put him off by pledging her word of honor to be prepared on their first meeting after that. When it was to be, he didn't hear. but you urged Mr. Linton to look sharp. So well, that's some new information. They were planning on running away together, you know she was gonna she was gonna tell Mr. Linton, I'm done with you, Edgar. I'm going with Heathcliff. We're quitting this this place and we're heading out. To California, I'm gonna strike it rich, you know. Find, a, gonna pan for gold out there in California, but uh, didn't happen, you know. They, uh, well, but why not? I mean, if that, if that, why didn't she just go? She should've. If she, if she was prepared to do it, why didn't she do it? The news filled me with fresh fears. I outstripped Kenneth and ran most of the way back. The little dog was yelping in the garden yet. I spared a minute to open the gate for it. But instead of going to the house door, it coursed up and down snuffing the grass and would have escaped to the road had I not seized and conveyed it in with me. So there's there's some hijinks going on there. You know, the dog is just, is just you know, if, if she would only pay attention, the dog is saying, look, there's hijinks going on here. Arf, arf, arf. There's hijinks, miss. She's, you know, she's too overcome to pay attention. Oh, the animals know. They always know. On ascending to Isabella's room, my suspicions were confirmed. It was empty. Had I been a few hours sooner, Mrs. Linton's illness might have arrested her rash step. Oh, I see. I see. I misread entirely. And does Miss Linton turn a cold shoulder on him, was the next question. Not Mrs. Linton. Miss. It is Isabella and Heathcliff who have been conspiring back of the plantation. Two hours they were walking. He pressed her not to go in again, just mount his horse and away with him. My goodness. So, no wonder she was filled with fresh fears. It was not Catherine Heathcliff had been courting, but Isabella, who we already know. She doesn't he doesn't give a shit about her. She's a silly little thing. But she is part of his plan. On ascending to Isabella's room, my suspicions, suspicions were confirmed. It was empty. Had I been a few hours sooner, Mrs. Mrs. Linton's illness might have arrested her rash step. But what could be done now? There was a bare possibility of overtaking them if pursued instantly. I could not pursue them, however, and I dare not rouse the family, and fill the place with confusion, still less unfold the business to my master, absorbed as he was in his present calamity." And having no heart to spare for a second grief. This Heathcliff is a real agent of chaos, is he not? Might be the devil himself By Gall. How dare he? Strut around stirring things up. He's stirring a witch's cauldron is what he's doing. The noxious fumes permeating every square inch of Thrushcross Grange. Sulfur smells everywhere you go. And now, Isabella has been taken. And uh, Mr. Linton is left dealing with his present calamity. And does not yet know about a second grief. I mean, this is the stuff duels are made of. I wouldn't be surprised if there ended up being a duel between Heathcliff and Edgar. I mean how else to preserve his honor and to be honest Heathcliff has it coming. he deserves a stab right in the old ticker is what he deserves. Nobody deserves it more. you know you don't just you don't just ride into town and screw up somebody else's life. just a just a terrible way to go just a terrible 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 thing to do and a way to go. I don't know what his problem is. Just the whole, he just hates the world and the world hates him back. Just a great villain is what he is. A great dark cloud hovering over the world of American literature, this Heathcliff. Well, I'm Verklempt. Let us retire for the week. I have closed my Bantam classic edition of Wuthering Heights by the great American author, Emily Bronte, and we are quit for this episode. So, we'll pick it up again next time on another vituperative episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedren. If you listen and like the show, please help us out with a rating and a review. We want to be obscure, but not that obscure. It's an easy way to support the show. Thanks.